This is the Coaching for Pastors podcast, episode 151. Hey, Pastor, happy Friday. Ah, Friday. Don't you love Fridays? I love Fridays. Fridays are my day off. And I've said before, I I say this a lot of Fridays, that, ah, it's Friday. A day that I don't have to think about any of my ministry commitments. It's my Sabbath. It's really my Sabbath. And there are times when I cheat. Yeah, there are times when we've got stuff going on. But as much as possible, and I would say solid three out of four, solid 75%, if not more. Fridays are my day off, and I love Fridays. Okay, on with the show. The Discipline of Study. In Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, Chapter 5, it says the discipline of study. I know, I know what you're going to say. Oh, it's boring. Oh, study. Okay, now that I've just insulted you, <laughs> usually when we say things about others, so it's really because that's what we think. So it's like you're standing in front of a mirror. But we can often think about study, and we can think, okay, that's, that's a work-related thing. That's an obligation. But Richard Foster talks about it as one of the classical disciplines. And he writes this. He says, the purpose of the spiritual disciplines is the total transformation of the person. They aim at replacing old destructive habits of thought with new, life-giving habits. Nowhere is this purpose more clearly seen than in the discipline of study. The Apostle Paul tells us that we're transformed through the renewal of the mind, Romans 12.2. The mind is renewed by applying it to those things that will transform it. And you know, Paul writes in Philippians 4, Whatever's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and gracious, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The discipline of study is the primary vehicle to bring us to think about these things. Foster goes on, many Christians remain in bondage to fears and anxieties simply because they don't avail themselves of the discipline of study. They may be faithful in church attendance and earnest in fulfilling their religious duties, but still they are not changed. Jesus made it unmistakably clear that the knowledge of the truth will set us free. You'll know the truth, he wrote, and the truth will make you free. Good feelings will not free us. Ecstatic experiences will not free us. Getting high on Jesus will not free us. Without a knowledge of the truth, we will not be free. Foster continues, this principle is true in every area of human endeavor. It's true in biology and mathematics. It's true in marriages and other human relationships, but it's especially true in reference to the spiritual life. Many are hampered and confused in their spiritual walk by a simple ignorance of the truth. Worse yet, many have been brought into the most cruel bondage by false teaching. Jesus said in Matthew 23 that you traverse sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. He finishes with this, let us therefore apply ourselves to learning what constitutes the spiritual discipline of study, to identify its pitfalls, to practice it with joy, and to experience the liberation that it brings. Wow, that is awesome. So now that I've said it, well, what do you do? What do you do? Do you just study more? study harder, uh, do like if you're doing something and it's not working, 
uh, don't do more of it. Just, just don't. Don't do more of it. If you're doing something that's not working, you have to change what you're doing, right? And do something that is working. Here's my encouragement to you to make it really simple, to encourage you into more study because, hey, Hey, I've been at this for a while, okay? You, Pastor, you can't hide anything from me. That's the truth. I know how the game is played. I said that the other day. And I know that sometimes with the urgency and the immediacy of other things in ministry, we can step back on our study. We can say, okay, we've been working at this for however many years. I've got kind of a body of knowledge, and I'm going to draw from that my understanding of the Scriptures. And we can step away from study. I understand that, and that's why a number of years ago I went back to school for a master's degree, and that's why a short number of years ago I went back to school for a doctoral degree, because if I didn't, I knew that I am not going to study at that same level on my own. I'm not going to do it. If it's not due and it's not going to be graded and I didn't have to pay for it, then I'm just not going to have the same urgency and intensity in my study. So here are three thoughts for you. Number one, you can get into a degree program, but you may not be able to do that right now. It may be the wrong time. So let's assume it's not the right time. What should you do? Okay, number one, there's more content than ever at our fingertips. So number one, choose reliable fodder right? Choose reliable information to study. Find a book, find a course, find a a series of podcast episodes that sometimes they have audio courses. Find whatever it is that you want to study. Decide it's going to be a book of the Bible and gather some study resources. Whatever it is, choose reliable fodder. Once you've done that, you have to schedule your commitment to it. You have to put it on your calendar. You're going to spend you know, 30 minutes a day, two hours every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, whatever it is, you schedule your commitment and you say, I am going to study. I'm going to study this doctrine. I'm going to study this book of the Bible. I'm going to study this topic throughout the scriptures. I'm going to study this current social situation that is bedeviling so many of my people. I am going to study this, and this is the time that I'm going to spend studying it. And now the third thing, this thing is what's going to make it work. Because if you don't do this, it's probably not going to work. You have to, number three, involve others. you got to involve others. I mean, if you involve others, you are multiplying the benefits from the time that you're investing in this study. I'll never forget when I first got together with Johnny Craig, uh, my good friend from seminary days, and he came to my church, was my associate pastor. And I wanted to get him into preaching. He had only preached one or two messages in his life. And so I thought, well, Johnny, here, I'm going to put this message together, and I'm going to have you preach half of it, and we'll go over it. Oh, my goodness. This guy was smart. He was sharp, very insightful, very articulate. And we started studying together, and it was not long before I realized that studying with him, I would learn three times as much as if I sat in a room by myself and studied. He would learn three times as much. Somehow, we would multiply our efforts by just adding one more of us into the room. In fact, even when we weren't preaching together, 
I'm preaching myself, I'm still going to have him come in the room and I'm going to talk through the message with him because the interaction and the interplay between us would cause me to, to come out with a much better message, a much better understanding of my material. And this is true not just for sermons. It's true for any kind of learning. You have to pick the right material. You have to schedule your commitment to it. And then you've got to include others. Right now, what I'm doing is probably two days a week on average, one or two days a week, I'm taking an hour-long walk, which turns into like an hour and 15 minutes of conversation with another pastor in town. And we talk about all kinds of things. And I'm learning and growing as we walk along and as we talk together, and I like to think that he is as well. So, Pastor, we've finished this week where we've talked about spiritual disciplines. We've talked about epistemology. How do we know whether something is legitimate and true or if it's just an opinion? And how should we be open-minded? How should we be on the rethinking cycle, as Adam Grant says, and not the overconfident cycle? I hope this has been a good week for you, Pastor. It's been a good week for me. I've learned. I've grown. And I hope that you have a great weekend, a great time with your church family, a great time with the people that you get together with to worship corporately on the weekends, whether it's a home church or whether it's a mega church. I hope you have a fantastic weekend, Pastor. I'll see you tomorrow on Saturday for the weekend edition of the podcast, a longer episode with a guest, with a ministry expert, and then I'll catch up with you on Monday on the Coaching for Pastors podcast. podcast.